Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. After presenting more than a thousand interviews, I couldn't be more compelled to introduce you to the Jordan Harbinger Show. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel to the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, and even the head of the CIA. Listed as Apple's best of 2018 and countless other awards that, let's be honest, you probably don't care about right now. So come and have a listen for yourself and join me as we exploit the superpowers of the world's most incredible thinkers, amazing achievers, and iconic change makers with their insights delivered right into your mind. You'll get that blueprint of their brilliance each week so that you can learn to live what you listen. Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash, like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP, but don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. episode of the witching hour i am perry my face is all clean now how you doing over there Haley? <laughs> looking good no no blood residue that i can see <laughs> i feel like uh my family is still emotionally scarred by what i put them through but at least everyone's forgiven me now and the content it was quality content i guess it was kind of worth the content i still feel a little guilty though as much as i laugh at that video it still kind of hurts my heart that i did it at all it's pretty, uh, you have more, I don't know, chutzpah, guts, whatever than me. I couldn't do it. For those who don't know, go to Perry's Instagram. There's a video of her scaring her mom with the makeup we did last yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think because I was having such a hard time with it that I was sure it didn't look real. <laughs> I, re- I really genuinely thought I was going to walk downstairs and I was going to do that. And she was going to be like, oh, please, you know? Oh. Man, my effect skills were better than I thought, I guess. <laughs> That's what's fun, though. If you guys missed uh, last week's episode of The Witching Hour, too, just, like, scroll on back in the YouTube channel and learn a little bit about applying your own wound makeup, which was an experience for both of us. So I, I kept a whole bunch of it. I figured during Halloween I can I can bust that out in the bruise wheel. Right? That's what it was called. Yeah. Okay, I know the terminology. (laughs) So, I'm handing the reins over to you first, Haley, for Fantasia recapping. But after that, we are going to do both a non-spoiler and a spoiler-heavy review of the boys for episodes one, two, and three. So, you've got that ahead of you as well. But first, Fantasia. Yes. Yes. Uh, So much fun. I really, I, I know I said this before. But, like, I just am so happy that I had the opportunity to watch all these movies in this way, in this climate where these things are not common. 
Um, and I can't say enough about what an incredible job the Fantasia team did. For me, they kind of set the bar for what virtual festivals can be in terms of, I mean, really everything access uh the the infrastructure of the system itself that they built to screen the movies uh the they just nailed it and i got to see so much cool stuff um and i ended up watching i think like 25 movies or so but i tried to narrow it down to some favorites here it's so many in such a short period of time no i only wish i had started earlier because it hurts my heart all the ones i didn't get to see so it goes to the festival we do what we can i know but it it hits different when you have them all at home because you feel like you should watch more because you're not on the ground doing stuff. That's that's very fair. I feel like I need to take a lesson from you, though, and apply that to how I approach TIFF next week. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be weird. What about that? Um, so I don't remember exactly which ones I was able to say the most about in some cases because I know some were still under embargo. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I repeat myself, dear listeners... Uh, so sorry, bear with me. I do remember that I was able to give like a, a full-on non-embargoed review of Morgana, which I really is still one of my top 10 movies I saw there. It's a documentary about a woman who sort of reinvented her life from being a very unhappy domestic woman to becoming a much more self-built and self-satisfied uh, and self-produced pornographer. And really, I, I find it a super intriguing and moving look at like how you build your life. Cause I think a lot of us feel stuck and it really demonstrates that you can, you have to sort of burn your life down to become the Phoenix from the flames, but you can reshape your reality. And I found that very uh, touching and insightful. Uh, I know that I talked briefly about 12 hour shift, but I do think that was still under embargo. So I will just say that I really super dug that one. That's a, a thriller from Bray Grant and it's, just so like all these indie filmmakers the they a lot of them get in through these uh single location low budget thrillers right because they're easy to make and people like them well easy to make you know uh comparatively something with seven locations and 15 you know main characters things like that uh, but what I think really makes them stand out because there are so many of them is a real showcase of filmmaker personality, which 12 hour shift definitely has. It has so much personality. It has fun with the audience, wants the audience to have fun with it. Uh, there, I don't want to like spoil or give away the surprise, but I'll just say there are some choices made and scene transitions that truly delighted and thrilled me and made me have big, huge grins. Uh, David Arquette looking sexy as hell into it. Uh, really fascinating characters. The main duo are uh, a nurse who's been working in a sort of organ harvesting capacity and her cousin who she works with, who is so dumb and so ruthless and one of the most infuriating fascinating characters I've seen on film in a long time. You want to throttle her, but you cannot take your eyes off of her. Um, so I, I'm, I, I'm quite passionate about this weird little thriller movie that I, I think really hits that, that mark I said about you have to really showcase your unique vision if you're going to do the single location small budget thriller, and she does that in spades. I 
also know that I was able to speak freely about my love for Monster Seafood Wars. So I will just say that that remains one of my favorites of the festival. I will watch it all the time when it's available. It made me so happy. It's so goofy. I wish there was a little more monsters because it's pretty low on kaiju action. But I don't even care because I was so happy when I watched it. Uh, and that is that is one that Donato and I share a deep love for. Um, another one that Donato and I share a love for, actually, is Dinner in America, which I know that I brought up, but I don't think... I don't know how much I was... I can't, I can't even remember yet. <laughs> I don't remember either. That was two weeks ago now. Whole other world. Different Haley. <laughs> but, uh, Dinner in America. Super sweet sort of punk love story. Is this the Kyle Gellner one? Yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> and he is so wonderful, as is I have to look up the name of his co-star because she is also such a treat. Um, but I just really, like, fell for it. I got sucked up in the romance and the characters, and it 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 hit all the right marks that I think it was trying to hit. Uh, Emily Skeggs is the actress. They are dynamite together. She has such a beautiful voice. There is so much love for music and love born out of music in the movie. I just had such a wonderful time with it. And that is another one that I see becoming a regular in my rotation because it makes me so happy. Also, the original song they wrote for it is a bop. Like, that's going on the Spotify playlist for sure. And... The Dark and the Wicked is the new horror movie from the Strangers director, Brian Bertino. It's the one I told you about with Myron Ireland, who, as watching our listeners know, we love. Um, she's continuing her tradition of trauma on farms in 2020. Uh, it's, it's about a brother and sister who are somewhat estranged. She's the sister. Michael Abbott Jr. is the brother. They go home to their family farm, ranch, homestead. Uh, on their father's deathbed to say goodbye. But things are bad, and not just because their father is dying. There is some demonic, devilish nonsense afoot, and it's quite dark. If you've seen The Strangers, you know. That's that, what I figure. Yeah, Bertino goes grim. Um, I think it falls apart a little bit in the mythology and tying all its threads together, but ultimately it's a super effective horror movie that definitely like gave me all kinds of chills and ookies. And of course, really, really wonderful performances, as you would expect from of course, you know, Farms Maronite. And next, I did talk briefly about special actors, but that also has remained one of my festivals. That's the new comedy from the director of One Cut of the Dead. And this one is rooted in more the heist uh, con job sort of genre but it still plays with the audience and plays with your expectations. There's a great sense of humor. And did you see One Cut of the Dead? No. Okay. Well, that's a mistake. I know. I know. I know. I'm going to hear about it. <laughs> watch the movie. It's like 90 minutes. I, yeah. You'll have a great time. You can say the same thing about all the episodes of TV I have to watch. I guess. After... After after Tiff. After Tiff, I'll get back to it. Uh-huh. I've heard that before. Anyway, uh, there is a thing in in that film, the, the poem, it's like sort of become a, a gesture that's associated with the right. film. 
people who love the movie do online and refer to. And this one also has sort of like, it's a different kind of gesture, but it's a little hand thing that the characters do that it's just one of those interesting um, filmmaker quirks that I maybe didn't expect to repeat two times having this like definable physical movement. Um, Oh yeah. Next on the list I have here detention, which super impressed me. And also like, I was not emotionally prepared for. I said through tears to someone in my family, this is Schindler's List shit wrapped up in Silent Hill's clothing. Like I went in and expecting a spooky ooky thing and then Mm -hmm. so um, rich and dramatic uh, historical drama, uh, anti-fascist drama. It's so, so brutal and emotionally gutting and really well done by far one of the best video game adaptations that's been made. Um, just be warned that it is not a spooky ooky time. It is a very emotional time. With spooky ooky stuff. Okay. It's both. But uh, I definitely was surprised and did not expect to be like bawling by the end of the film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I'm excited about this one. Okay. Uh, it's called The Paper Tigers. <clears throat> it's a feel good martial arts underdog comedy and it's so freaking delightful it's such a good time i was like howling with laughter alone in my bedroom which i think it's really impressive when you're alone and you're still laughing too loud um i i just i i enjoyed the hell out of it it's got great fight scenes great cast chemistry really wonderful sense of humor a lot of heart it's sort of a karate kid vibe but they're adults it's about three former kung fu prodigies who used to run the scene in their town and now they've really fallen out of practice they don't talk to each other anymore and when their master dies they reunite and have to start fighting again Hmm. and oh so lovely really what a joy uh definitely that would be if i i did not rank these because we all know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it would be in my top five. Like if I attempted that, it'd be way up there. That comment holds uh, even more weight because we know how you feel about ranking. Yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, private chat was an interesting one. That's the one with um, Julia Fox from Uncut Gems. And she plays a cam girl who gets in a sort of interesting dynamic with one of her clients who becomes really obsessed with her. And it never quite went the direction I thought it would go. It's very provocative. Like both of the actors really go there. And um, it's not like it's not a hundred percent effective for me, but I definitely was won over by uh, what turns out to be like a surprising purity to it. It's, it's got like a fairy tale quality almost, um, except it's super gritty New York porn shit. I don't know. It worked for me. <laughs> and, uh, Julia Fox, she's a star, man. She's just going to be huge. She's so incredible. And the last one I have in my, like, ten that I locked out. Huh, lock. It's called the Block Island Sound. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was not... This is one that I heard, like, a super ton of buzz about. And for me, it, it didn't seem to affect me the same way it hit a lot of people, which was they thought it was really terrifying and... Um, a lot of people said it was their favorite horror of the festival. <clears throat> For me, it, it's like a very solid um, 
eco horror meets family drama type thing. It's like really hard to talk about because you can't really explain it without spoiling it to a certain mm-hmm. degree. But like, there's a sound, and it makes people act weird, and then that goes places. Um, Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's definitely well made. Uh, worth checking out, really, as you would expect from the title, a really great use of sound design. Um, and one of those films that really, for me, comes together at the end. Like, I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure, wasn't sure. And then by the end, I was like, yeah, okay, you won. I like it. Um, and so those are like the 10 that I singled out to talk about. But I also wanted to point to A Mermaid in Paris, which is a very cute, sweet, whimsical, vibrant musical uh, film about, I don't know if you could guess, but a mermaid in Paris. Huh. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But uh, she is in Paris and she meets a man and they fall in love and it's all very cute and stylized and quite quite charming. Uh, For the Sake of Vicious earns its title. (laughs) Definitely. It's a very lean indie action horror movie set on Halloween. Um, though that, that doesn't play too much into it, except that it allows all these killers that are about to come into the house to wear masks without being noticed. Um, it's basically three people in a house with a lot of drama between them. One's being held hostage. Uh, the woman comes home and they are in a fight scenario that's quite violent. And then all the killers start showing up and it really does seem to be for the sake of vicious. Like it is a bloody, ruthless, relentless. And I, I liked it, but that really is like, if that's what you want in a movie, watch that because that's what it is. If you do not like bloody stuff or really extreme violence, don't watch that one. (laughs) It's super vicious. And then I mentioned Come True, which is the one that's in a sleep study. Mm. Um, That one I mostly love for its use of dream imagery, which Silent Hill again, but it does have a very Silent Hill feel to it. And uh, yeah, it just really taps into, you know how obsessed I am with dreams. So it sort of taps into that, that uncanny otherworldly feeling of almost like nauseous anxiety and fear that you can't quite place. And it's really well done. That's a very hard thing to nail. Mm -hmm. Uh, I find the uh, outside dream stuff a little less effective and the movie ends up taking a pretty monumental swing that will not work for everybody. I'm not even a hundred percent sure yet if it works for me, but I do appreciate the swing and making bold choices that have a lingering effect as opposed to, playing it safe and pissing less people off, but maybe not, you know, making such an impact. And Texas Trip is a documentary about like a subculture of performance art that's really rooted in somewhat disturbing performances. Like you, for example, if you ever wanted to watch a man sew his mouth shut on stage, that would be something you could see in Texas Trip. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's not my favorite narrative of the documentaries I saw, but it is probably the most impressive like uh, technique in filmmaking in the documentaries. It, it's very, very effective at conjuring an atmosphere and the shots are stunning and um, unexpected. It does drag a little because the, the narrative isn't quite there, 
but it's definitely like atmospheric. It will put you into a space and you will be impressed by how that space kind of washes over you. And then I did want to point out that speaking of documentaries, I believe there are already three that you can watch that were at Fantastic Fest, which is Feels Good Man, which I believe came out today. That's about Pepe the Frog and how it went from a kid's comic to a hate symbol. And it's as upsetting and fascinating as you would expect. There is You Cannot Kill David Arquette, which is the uh, exploration of David Arquette becoming a wrestler and how it sort of changed his life. And then there is Class Class Action Park on HBO Max, which is about the very dangerous theme park in New Jersey. And I will point to Matt's excellent review on the website because it does have a tonal problem in that it seems pretty cavalier about the amount of people that were hurt and killed. But it's also super duper fascinating. I actually didn't find it that way. Like I I see it. I feel I feel like that is a very like it's a very difficult thing to tackle, you know, like the twisted magic of the park back then and also be able to cover the very real devastating repercussions of mm-hmm. having a park like that up and running. I don't know, I thought they balanced that way better than I ever could have imagined. I, I love like it a, a lot. Um I don't think it's like a mean or bad movie or anything, but I definitely can see what he I mean it had some I think, I think the reason that it worked so well for me is that it like paired together. A lot of it makes you say like, look at these crazy things the kids ba- did back in the day. And it's, you know, a nostalgia bubble. And I miss the good old days. But like, <laughs> but like, but, but then you say to yourself, but like, do I really like, look how, how dangerous it like, we can't let anything like that happen again. Like, I feel like I kept having that thought process when I veered more towards that kind of, you know, like the lighthearted laughing recollection of what Action Park was. I see what you mean. Um, yeah. And like I said, I'm not coming for the film. I really enjoyed it. And I recommend if you have HBO Max to check it out. Um, it is a wild story. The animation in that was yeah. so good. Such a smart uh, tool to use. Yeah, I don't watch a ton of documentaries, like, uh, as in general. So watching so many in such a short time for Fantasia was definitely, like, interesting to think about what works as a structural support to a documentary to keep it entertaining Mm -hmm. and engaging. And that worked very well. Absolutely. And that's my recap. Hey, Fantasia, amazing stuff. I feel so lucky, and I can't wait to watch more movies in the future. I can't wait to watch a lot of these movies you've been talking about. I'm glad some of the, some of them some of them have release dates, right? Or somewhat of a yeah. plan. All mm-hmm. right, I'll take that. <laughs> the Dark and the Wicked definitely does. Yeah. Um, I don't know about how many of them that I mentioned do have distribution yet, but that one definitely does. Good stuff. Something to look forward to. I'll take it. Yes. All right. Do you want to switch gears and go into the boys? Oh yeah, we got a we got a power. All right, tis time. The Boys. Season two has begun on Amazon. The way that they're releasing the season is the the premiere, September 4th, dropped the first three episodes of the new season. And then each week we're going to get another episode until it concludes with episode eight. So we do want to get into spoilers on the episodes that are available right now, which are one, two, and three. But first, non-spoiler thoughts. Haley, what do you generally think about this season overall? 
I reject this because I just talked for like 15 minutes straight. <laughs> I'll go first. All right. Uh, full disclosure, just so you guys know, I have seen the full season. Haley, I, be- I believe you've binged the whole thing as well. I actually still have two left. Gotcha. Well, just so you guys kind of know where I'm coming from here, but obviously no spoilers in this section. I absolutely, I loved it. I loved it the first time around. I think it's so like big and crazy and twisted and like fun, but mean. It's got something to say. It doesn't hold back in any respect. And when you go through a show like that for a whole first season, you're going to wind up in a place where you're thinking like, how are they possibly going to raise the bar? How can you make Homelander any more threatening than he already is? How do you test a character like that? They they do it. They do it really well in the new season. And there are a couple characters from season one that I think made a good impression the first time around. They get to do a little more and kind of get meteor storylines to work with. Two of my favorite being Starlight and Queen Maeve. I like what they go through here. You know, and there's there's also a lot of... A lot of storylines that, again, this is like a big, bold, outlandish world, but I think there's a lot of very realistic, grounded drama happening, too, and sometimes I lose myself in that, and I forget that we exist in a world where people have superpowers because of Compound B in this show, so I think the fact that it manages to tick both of those boxes, even more so, I would say, in season two than season one, I think just speaks to the engagement level of the show and with the characters and I'm just, like, I'm freaking in love with it all over again. That's awesome. Um, I, I super like it. I'm not sure that I've fallen quite as hard for season two that I did for season one, but I also do intend to go back and rewatch it because we do watch things on such a time crunch. I didn't really get to savor those episodes I watched. Um, but yeah, all of what you said. That was <laughs> <laughs> It's such a clever show and it's an interesting thing because I wasn't like when I tried to read the comics when I was in you know high school or whatever and all my friends really liked them, I found it a bit too cruel for me. Mm-hmm. I was turned off by them, which I know is kind of Ennis's thing and I've I I've enjoyed his stuff. I liked Preacher, I enjoyed his Punisher run. Mm-hmm. This one in particular just hit me the wrong way. So it's interesting to me that the show still is able to take such nasty swings without being that kind of cruel. Yeah, And it's a really impressive, uh, very small mark to hit that they hit so well. The cast is freaking fantastic. Uh, I mean, who isn't oh, in love with Carl Urban at this point? Everyone. Everyone. Even if you don't know who he is, you're in love with him. Sorry to tell <laughs> um, And it's really... Maybe I'll save that for when we do spoilers. Okay. Just, the, whole, the whole cast is really super strong. And I, I like that they continue to explore the same themes when it comes to corporate greed and overdraft mm-hmm. and control without just repeating themselves. They find new corners to take that exploration into and new uh, <laughs> new lows, let's say. <laughs> Quite a few of those. Yeah. Um, before we move away from non-spoilers, just in case we lose some of you, Anthony Starr, again, is, is like disturbingly good as Homelander. And I loved the new addition in Aya Cash. She is a major scene sealer in the middle of an ensemble that is exceptional all around. And that is not easy to do. Yeah, she she just, I mean, scene sealer gets thrown around a lot. And I always mean it. 
but like his Olympic level. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's like a scene stealer in like the true sense of the term here. <laughs> a season stealer, a, a show stealer. Like, yeah, right? I would go. I would go that far. Season stealer. She, yeah. She's definitely someone you're going to be thinking about. Did you watch You're the Worst? I didn't, and now because of this, I really want to go back and and give it a watch. It's super dark, but it's pretty incredible. She is well. Now you know she's yeah. just phenomenal yeah. and fearless. I'm- fearless. Very, very down to give that a go. So, spoilers? Spoilers. All right, guys. This is it. So, if you haven't watched any of The Boys Season 2 yet, this is your time to leave. Hopefully, we have encouraged you to give it a watch and then, you know, pause this video and then come back to it when you've watched Episodes 1, 2, and 3. For those of you that are still with us, I don't know how much you watched yet, but we are going to go episode by episode and we'll tell you when we get to the breaking point of each. So, in case you've only watched Episode 1, stick with us, but be mindful that we're going to talk about Episodes 2 and Episodes 3 eventually. So, please... Please listen out for that. I, I have the ins and outs, Haley. I can I can guide us through it. I'll just let you talk. I don't I don't remember super specifically what was one, two, or three because I watched them all together. Gotcha. Well, yeah. well, I, I've got you know I've got a good deal of uh, I got a good deal of notes here that we can we can start kind of uh, picking through. You know, episode one did start with a with a big black noir scene and. Uh, I mean, like as sick as this sounds, black noir violence is something that I'm often here for. It's just, it's like so brutal and vicious. And those sequences are always executed so incredibly well. And this, this opening one in particular is just shot very well. And like, man, like shit, like him ripping a guy by his jaw. It, it's just so brutal. And it's so the boys. It is. I think what's cool about it too. And, why it stands out for me is like this is it's not that this isn't an action show because it is but those action set pieces tend to be built around like um well superpowers but also you know leading up to a big blood gore gag or Mm -hmm. something like that and he's he's really the character who comes through with like hand-to-hand combat in a way that's really kinetically satisfying yeah, I like I ran a, a non-spoiler uh, review on my channel and I couldn't believe like I, I didn't even mention Black Noir in that. And I was kicking myself after because I, I love looking at the comments after just to see what's really catching everyone's eye and what they're most excited about. And there were just so many fans of that character. And that's like, that is not an easy character to make such a big impression with, especially when you look at everything that's around him. So I, I, I did want to give a shout out to Nathan Mitchell, who plays that role, because I, I think he's just got great presence and, absolutely nails everything that character has to do yeah it's a good one and it is like to the extent that anyone's a straight man in the boys he kind of has to play that role because everything else is so over the top and crazy (laughs) very reserved and really silent you could see and like you could feel it too in in the physicality of the role and not just in the fight the fight scenes but like thinking about that opening when he takes the little stuffed animal and is shaking it at the kid like there's a level of nuance in something like that and in that moment that i don't know like i just i think fully embodies what that character is and i loved it so one of the next big sequences we get here is a translucence memorial ceremony which 
all of that, I think, uh, beautifully captures something that the boys does very well, which is, you know, poke fun at how we operate in this world and how we put on a show in so many different respects. And, you know, that kind of follows them through to outside doing the, uh, doing the interviews and, you know, ultimately, I mean, I I don't think this was this episode, but it's not a spoiler when they, when they start to poke fun at the junket scene. I mean, that, that is, that's something that, I mean, that material I manage, I imagine might be even funnier to us, like us knowing the inside, like the inside scoop and how that whole world works. But also all of that stuff is just like it's such obvious everyday things that we're all inundated with. And I feel like it played even better this time around because I don't know about like all of you, but. I sit in front of a TV and watch man on the street type interviews all day because the the news is on nonstop. And I don't know, just seeing this show poke fun at a lot of that stuff played even better for me this time around. Yeah. I mean, this show is like the, I don't know, the master of unmasking hypocrisy. It's sort of why, I don't know. I feel like that's the root of a lot of the humor, a lot of the drama and it just, I don't, okay, so we're in episode one, but you brought up the junkets, so whatever, I'm going to talk about it. Um, that is a sequence in which you're like, okay, I cash, all right. Like, I see that you are here to extremely play, mm-hmm. um, bringing your A-game. And it is, I definitely think it's it's objectively funny, but if you... this The people who make the show know that people in the industry watch their show. Oh, of course really made with a design to amuse yeah. that set of audience a little bit more. Um, and I also appreciate the way that it was used to a, let's say, unmask the hypocrisy of corporate feminism and uh, packaged and sold, you know, allyship, mm-hmm. which is another of this uh, series' great strengths. Oh, ab- Absolutely. Going down, going down the line here, we we get the reveal that Ashley is uh, kind of taking uh, Stillwell's spot, and uh, that's a supporting performance that I think does exactly what it needs, not just in episode one when we get to see her in that role, but all throughout, because, like... I hate, I hate the cringe word, but I got to use it. Like there's so, there's so much about that that just makes me cringe. And it like makes me hurt watching her like try to do certain things a certain way and also dealing with personalities like Homelander. And I mean, that, that actually brings me to the blind spot stuff too. One of, one of my absolute favorite uh, pairings in this episode is you get that scene where Ashley introduces Homelander to the new member blind spot. And he basically just kind of like bursts her bubble right there on the spot and in the most brutal, nastiest way imaginable. And then later on, you get the Stormfront introduction and your mind just immediately goes back to that. And like, you're kind of like, you're scared for her, but then you're not. And I think that's what makes her introduction even more powerful. Mm -hmm. I mean, Homelander is for me, one of the scariest characters on TV in a long time. Yeah. Uh, deeply terrifying. And there's so much that credit goes to the writing, the performance. It's like you want to just sit here and rave about Anthony Starbridge. You have to be like, oh my God, the scripting is so vicious. Um, yeah. I, 
really struggled to like at the end of season one imagine a force that would stand up to that and be believable as a threat to him. But they hadn't cast Aya Cash yet, so no, no. I don't think you you were alone in that. So she like like the second they introduce her, she catches your eye and all that stuff. Um, we also get the introduction of um, you know what's going on with the with the CIA with the scene with Rainer and her head. That's something kind of funny uh, because I watched these a while ago and together I went through and reviewed notes before doing this um, because I didn't have time to rewatch all three of the episodes. But uh, I had completely forgotten about a full head explosion. Oh, uh, it was so crazy that I already was like, oh, right. (laughs) That exploded. I, I don't think I'm going to forget that scene for a multitude of reasons. That was that was really something else. And, like, very quickly raises raises the stakes in another way, too, for the boys and what they're dealing with. It's, like, it's almost like, the, the you know, the fear of, you know, seeing a war movie where there's landmines all around you. Like, anything can happen at any time. And especially when that, that scene so clearly establishes what triggers that. And the fact that it's like you're rooting for them to figure this out and like meet their goal. But by doing that, they run the risk of this happening to them. You know, like that threat is out there and it freaks me out. It keeps it really does keep you on your toes. Yeah. I, uh, this show has a, a real gift for head trauma. I'll say that. There's oh. so many that are just like so many ways you can destroy a human skull that I'm learning from this show. This, yeah, this show really goes for it in that respect. Um, we also get uh, Giancarlo Esposito as uh, Stan Edgar, and he explains to Homelander the, I guess, the origins of uh, of Vought, like the Vought who, Dr. Vought? Dr. Vought, I think, yes. Who, uh, who created the company and who did early testing of compound V. So, you know, we've, we've known that compound V is going to be very important to the series and how they use it. And this just kind of adds even more weight to that conversation. And, you know, when you look at an actor like Esposito, it's just like, like he can say any exposition and I'm hanging on to his every word. <laughs> he's just the best at that kind of delivery. He is. He's a good talker. And that, that he is. A, a really sly addition to the cast, I feel mm-hmm. like. Your mind wouldn't go to him immediately to join the boys. And it's it's a really nice to the excessively vivid palette of this show. I felt the same exact way when his casting was announced, but then when I saw him in the role, like admittedly, I immediately made the connection to just his presence and and like his command as uh, Gus in Breaking Bad. They they feel so in line in the sense that like I would totally believe that this guy would step into this wild world where there are people with superpowers around him and other, you know, people trying to pull the strings behind the scenes and that he would be able to kind of assume a believable amount of control, which I think is what the role needed. Exactly. Yeah. And it's sort of like you needed an actress like Elizabeth Shue for Stowell. You have to, is, is you know, the contrast is Ashley who cannot handle Homelander. You need somebody that 
so bad for Ashley. Like, why? Because like, like she's not like a super well-intentioned person, but I hurt for her a little bit. No, I think it's just super relatably terrifying. Like yeah. that, that's a nightmare. Truly, uh, he exists as a, a sort of perfect contrast to that in his ability to always hold down his own power, even when he's in a room with someone he knows could like make him a blood splat. Yeah. Um, what else we got in this one? So the the episode one ends with with Butcher coming back. Uh, the only thing we didn't really discuss, I guess, uh, the introduction of Gecko. I, I find that whole thing really interesting. It's just like an intriguing layer to uh, to what uh, Huey and Annie are up to. I never know when, whether to call her Annie or Starlight. <laughs> like it almost feels, it almost feels like I couldn't, I shouldn't call her Starlight because that's kind of you know what their journey is about in a sense. But I don't know, whatever. That's besides the point. Um, that's just an interesting tool to have in her toolkit, so to speak. But uh, the only other one we didn't really talk about is the deep, but I feel like it's better off just saving him until we get a little more build between episode two and three. But he is not doing well. And in the first episode, he meets Eagle the Archer, who's associated with this with this other group. But you know, he, he Chase Crawford's just another one who's pitch perfect in that role. And watching him, I don't know, like suffer at the water park is just like it's sad, but it's wildly amusing. Way to put it, it might be so bad for him to a certain extent. Yeah, well, uh, he's done some bad things. Like nasty human a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, I did. Did you did you miss Billy the whole first episode? Did I, who did I miss? Did you miss Billy until, you know, he shows up at the end? Um, it wasn't really on my mind, if I'm being completely honest. Did oh. you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Oh. Like, uh, where's Billy Butcher? And then I, when, I get it. I get what they did. And I, I, I'm like, did you structure the whole episode just so you could get him to say daddy's home? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I should clarify. I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was like I was bored with the content and I was missing him because I missed like his presence in that sense. Because mm. I, I did like to get the opportunity to see how the group was operating without him because I feel like in someone's absence you can kind of dig into the nuance of why they all really need each other and I think that did work really well. But yeah, I mean, the more it work. I'm the just more saying, Carl Urban would get the better. Like, where's Carl Urban? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I can understand anyone who goes through that process. And we do get him. Episode two time. Yeah. Episode two. Uh, we do get to find out what happened to Butcher after the events of uh, season one. And he comes back to the group. We get we get some some Grace Mallory communication. And what the deal is there is they're they're trying to figure out. Sorry, I'm just like double checking that I'm not getting too far ahead of me. I think they use the term. Are they going soup terrorist at this point? Because I know there's that that point where they're trying to figure out what terminology to use. But they, the boys find out about it and they're trying, I think that was in the previous episode, and they're trying to track down, you know, where this individual came from. And Butcher gets some information from Grace Mallory, who I think has um, some great stuff this season. I kind of really liked how she popped up and how she was incorporated throughout the entire thing. And now, of course, I don't have the actress's name here, and I'm kicking myself. 
Yeah. Oh, um, Layla Robbins. So, this is what happens when you have too many notes. I have notes all over my computer right now. Yeah, I know all about it. I, uh, the other thing is it's just what happens when your show has like 45 fucking characters. I know there's so much going, there's so much going on, but it handles it better. It handles it better than I thought it would have minus, minus one thing. There's one thing in particular, this is a major, it would be a major like full season spoiler if I really got into it. But there, there is one storyline that I think is a, it's a good storyline, but I think if I were to cut anything, it would be that and remind me to revisit it when the show's over. Okay. Yeah, so I don't remember myself from two weeks ago. Let's see. <laughs> I'm sure this will go great. Yeah. Um, but that's what the boys are up to in this episode. We also get uh, a Homelander going to visit Becca and Ryan. And like every single time a scene like that comes up, it's like it takes a lot to get me to do this, but I'm kind of like burying my head in my hands. I like it's so hard to watch that material. Interesting. Uh, you like kids more than me. That's that's not the kids. <laughs> I remember to the terrified businesswoman. I think I I I think it's not even just Ryan's like Ryan's fate that I'm scared for. I think I just feel so bad for Becca and yeah. everything she's been through, and the fact that like she is like she is a powerless individual trying to protect the most precious thing in the world to her from like the most violent and terrifying soup out there. Yeah. She's in a bad spot. She, I, she might be in the, like one of the worst spots. In all the yeah. I get that. Hi. Um, this one also gives us a train. I think he comes back. Yeah. Cause this is the junket stuff and this is where he walks in and he's like, hello, I'm here and I'm going to, you know, out all the terrible things you did. Um, we didn't even talk oh, about this. I want to touch on that. Yeah. Uh, Something I really enjoy this season is the way they're taking Starlight, like, in these first two episodes, it's very clear. She's now has to play the game, and she has to get a little dirty. Uh, she has to get darker. You mm-hmm. know, that's blackmail, and then blackmail again. Like, she blackmails him in the first episode, and then she blackmails A-Train to stop him from giving her up. And that is not who we met in episode one, season one. And yeah. I like that growth. She and Aaron Moriarty, I think, is handling that transition really, really well. And stay tuned with that because that's some of my favorite stuff as the season progresses. Also, I also I I loved that we didn't even talk about that scene in uh, episode one where they kind of show her taking apart her her starlight costume piece by piece. Yeah. That's like another thing that I speak. I think speaks to our, you know, I guess particularly uh, the reality of the entertainment industry. And what it takes to put on the things that you see on screen. So I I like that scene quite a bit. Um, and we haven't really spoken about uh, Kamiko and her brother too. So he is the uh, is the the soup the soup terrorist. That is the that that I'm saying the right term, right? I can't remember because it was a whole debate, and I don't remember which it was. One. And there's a great scene. Yeah, yeah. They they're calling them super terrorists. I okay. think. Unless my my autofill just filled in super, I don't know, whatever. But it's nice it's nice to it's nice to see the the two of them together. I mean, most of most of her, I feel like most of her uh, emotional material has been very tied to Frenchie, 
And it's nice to see her have that kind of interaction with someone else, especially someone so well connected to her past and someone she very deeply cares about. And I, th- I think that's just the type of material that also radiates off the screen and y- you really feel it. And I'm all for that. Well, she's a tricky one anyway. I mean, like the nature of her character is that she's harder to get to know. Yeah. Uh, she's not available to you immediately. And so I think that was important to put something like this early in the season to open up that character in a way we saw her open up in season one, but still from a pretty big distance. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that was really smart to put that up top and just a different, you know, an, an important and different perspective in the boys in the sense that they do have superpowers and they are fighting a very different fight, mm-hmm. different stakes. Yeah. And just a shout out to Karen Fukuhara, who's so good. She's so good. I mean, like you just said, that's that like that's not an easy that's not an easy role. And you know, when you're in such a big ensemble like this, I feel like you gotta give the the audience, you know, access to like a, a degree of your character's headspace to spark that connection. And I think she does such like a great, elegant job of giving us more and more as season one and now season two progresses. Well, and in the sense of what I just talked about as well, like when you're playing the character who is the big gun of the group with the, you know, the uh, power and stuff. You don't want that character to just become a symbol of the power the group can have. Like they can't mm-hmm. just have a weapon. They need to be a character, which is a, a lot for an actress to pull off when you don't talk for half the first season. Yeah. All right. You want to just go episode three? Do it. Let's do it. All right. Episode three. Now this is the, this is the, the episode with the, with the whale scene. <laughs> Which uh, we did get to see that in a clip. It plays even better in the context of the episode and the show. But there's, I mean, there's so much. There's so much good in this episode. In episode two is where they they brought back in uh, the relationship between Maeve and Elena. And that's something that is pushed like a little further here with Homelander name dropping her to Maeve and... Yeah, that's that's a that's another thing that I think is probably one of my favorite additions. We're not like additions, but things that get further fleshed out in season two of the show. Yeah, uh, agreed completely. And I'm not going to talk too much about it because I think something I remember that makes me really excited might actually be from episode four. But uh, okay. I, I agree, Maeve, uh, her her stuff is real good this year. Um. Another thing I really like about this episode on just like, you know, the not big, crazy, bloody stuff is I like the quieter moments between uh, Butcher and Huey. And I feel like this goes back to what we were talking about with episode one and just letting the other boys kind of develop in Butcher's absence. Not to say that they can't with him there, but just adding even more to them with him not being there. And then I think they kind of take that another step further by letting them have, you know, like their own weird way of at least Butcher saying sorry. I don't know. There's there's like a there's a sensitivity between the two of them that's playing even better than I ever could have imagined at this point. Yeah, and I like that they with this episode brought Huey to like a point of recognizing his trauma because mm-hmm. the start of the show his character has been so go 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 on this path of vengeance and overwhelmed by what he's seeing and. You, you see him get, like, exasperated. Um, like when they exploded translucent, let's say. That was a reaction moment. Yeah. But you haven't really seen it, like, register to the extent everything he's been through seems to really 
weigh on him in the way that it does in this episode. And I think that was an important step for the character to acknowledge. I'm trying so hard to pull a particular movie title. Like, you know, the part where he's like still inside the whale and he's not moving and he's covered in whale guts. There's a movie like that where someone's just like freaking out and like covered in shit and can't pull together. I'm sure there are several given the stuff. It's like a great reference I'm going to make, but I can't make it right now. And I guarantee you I'll tell Haley privately after this record ends because that's when I'll remember it. I wish I could like genuinely remember. The only one that's coming to mind right now is uh, Ready or Not, but that's a very different reaction. Yeah. I feel like this might be more of like an 80s or 90s poll that I'm making. All right. (laughs) I could could sit here and try to remember this for way too long. Um, We also, uh, sticking with Huey for a little, I... I was very into that moment in the tunnel where Homelander demands that Starlight kill Huey. Mm-hmm. And you get that that moment where she lights up and maybe she could do it, but then Butcher interrupts. And I actually, I asked Aaron Moriarty about that during our ladies night. Like, you know, like what, what if Butcher didn't interrupt? What, what would she have done? Is there any possibility that she actually would have killed Huey? Of course she says no. And like, I don't think that's anything that's been in the character since day one. So I knew it was a big fat no, but it's a, like, it's a very, a very tense, well-edited moment that, uh, you know, it made me feel the risk. It did. And it points back to that, like growing darkness in her that I, I appreciate and find, more honest than if she had like maintained all her integrity through all of this. Like that's the fact that they made you believe that it was in consideration says a lot. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And then like the, the big set, let's just talk about the big set piece, but Holy shit. Like, so you, you had read the comics. Some, I, I didn't know. I, like I said, I tapped out. It wasn't for me. How much did you know about Stormfront before we jumped in? Uh, just the vagues. I don't think I actually got that far in. Um, I I was aware of the character because my friends were comic nerds who worked at comic shops and would talk about everything with me, but I did not get to her stuff. So her, actually, as it is in the comics, it's a it's they gender swapped it. Got yeah yeah that that I did know, but was was what she did and what she turned out to be at the end of episode three a surprise to you? No, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't paying enough attention watching episodes two, episodes one and two, but I don't know. I kept like, like I kept latching on to, to the things that she was doing that I thought maybe could have changed Vought and like their policies and how they represent the company and the people that work for it for the better. And like, it was so nice to have someone who was like being outspoken, especially when, you know, Starlight and Maeve just go with the flow and they do what they're told. And I, I don't know, I got like so excited to have that kind of character who could like, you know, crusade and change the day. And then she turns out to be a crazy killer. She's a, a murder racist. Oh my god! Big old murdery racist. Um, oh. Yeah, it, that like if you if you are familiar with the character from the comics, you totally know that's coming. Um, and in fact, I think if they didn't go that way, fans would be pretty angry. Uh, but she sells it so well. This goes back to the fearlessness of Ayakash that you see in "You're the Worst." She. I have seen her say and do such horrific things on camera and she just commits and, and she is fearless as a performer. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's, 
it's an incredible action sequence. Yeah. And emotionally devastating. It's incredibly well shot, well yeah. shot and well framed the way it moves around that building. And yeah, just to speak to her performance more, like it's, it's not, it's like about more than the actions. It's about being able to look in her eyes and know that she's actually enjoying what she's doing. That, that was, you know, as, as like a, a not probably not the most appropriate word to use here, but you know, it's, it's true of the boys overall, like even when they're doing the most disgusting, disturbing things, the show is highly entertaining. Totally. But it's like, you have that in that moment, but I like, I was kind of like sick to my stomach watching that. And I think that was the intended effect. And I think a lot of that comes through, not even necessarily like very well orchestrated action, but like the f- performance on her face as she is doing those things, especially when those moments get intimate, like that, that was the thing that hurt the most. Like, and I'm not even just talking about, um, about, uh, 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 the brother's name is slipping my mind and just seeing their, their close interaction, even like the small, like the, the quieter beats that we got in the building when she's attacking people who have nothing to do with her mission right now, man. I mean, this is her, homelander on a, the plane moment right mm. like this is where we see her for real for the first time yeah. and uh they had to up themselves so to speak because that plane moment is one of the most disturbing things i've seen in a long time yeah this, like this is meaner Again, I, it's hard to describe moments like the plane scene with with positive descriptors, but I, I do think that that scene might be one of my favorite uh, television scenes of all time. It is it is so intense and does exactly what it was intended to do. Yes, I I do not find that this is maybe better. Like like you said, that is one of my favorite scenes on the plane, and it affected me in a way that very few things do mm-hmm. but this is meaner like her stormfront is meaner <laughs> she's making calculated decisions she's attacking you know what yeah. i mean the difference there yeah mm. man i can't wait to talk about more with everyone i know we kind of like i i certainly kind of forgot they were only releasing the first three and so I had like planned to talk about so much more. It, it, yeah, it, it caught me a little bit off guard, but given what they're exploring this season, I'm almost glad they're, and you know, like that sounds obnoxious because I had access to the whole season. Who am I to say that honestly? But I don't like, I think they are dealing with a lot of things that, you know, some might appreciate the opportunity to sit with before jumping into like another like rip roaring episode of, of all this stuff. I completely get what you mean because I watched, you know, I watched Watchmen with the screeners. Yeah. But I was also still very grateful for the week to week release schedule to collectively process it, not just the viewing experience, but like the investigation of what they're talking about. Is there anything you want to hit on of one, two, and three before we close this out? And, you know, like, oh, I'm sure we'll revisit probably when the season winds down at this point. Yeah, I would just say, like, I, I have a really profound appreciation for this show's attention to detail. The Not just in a, like, a nerdy, Easter egg-y uh, callback sense. In a, in a really, like, every element of the show is used for humor or horror or effect. Like, the set design is hilarious if you pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there are so many little surprises in the dialogue and in the background. And I just find it really satisfying if you are a person like me who likes to get really obsessed and wrapped into things. Um, that there is a, a lot of rewatch watchability there. I can't wait to rewatch it and see things mm-hmm. I didn't see before or notice things they say to each other that I didn't pick up on. Um, it is, I think, one of the most ap- impressive attention to detail shows on TV right now. Yeah, I'll definitely emphasize emphasize that. I try I tried to rewatch as much as much of these three episodes as I could right before. It was kind of like scrubbing through at a point, but it like it was other than like if it wasn't for the time constraint, it would have been very easy to get lost in these episodes all over again. Because- I only had time to like recram episode three into my schedule, and I still like wanted to hit play on the next one. Yeah. I, I understand that feeling. I think the only other big plot point we didn't mention was that uh, news of Compound V and how it was administered gets out to the public. And that plot point works so well, given everything they do in season one. And then just like, not even just the wrinkle, not not just like a wrinkle, but the ripple effect. It has like all throughout the show, not just at Vought, but to Everybody, like the fact that they, you know, get to like explore that on an emotional level too, and what it means to know that like your parents gave it to you. There, there's so much potential in that one story beat right there. So, applause for that. I agree completely. I like it. I love it. In fact, for two reasons, um, it is about as bold of a statement that we're not making the same season over again as you can do because it's like that whole thing they were fighting for all of season one handled. Mm-hmm. They did it. Yeah. Um, and I also like it because I think it, uh, sets the stage for a more honest investigation of the time that we live in, which is now that the corruption has been revealed, how does society react to it? Mm -hmm. Um, because we do see so much flagrant corruption around the world right now that isn't hidden and how, uh, how nations respond to that is not what you would expect I found in real life. So I found that a really promising thematic and timely element to bring up in the show. Yep. Lots, lots left to explore in this one. So I hope you guys enjoy as we continue on. That is it though, for this episode of the witching hour, Haley, anything in particular you want to plug, where can people find your work, all that good stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Haley Satch. You can find me on Instagram at Haystack McGroovy. Uh, this, the next few days over the weekend on Collider, I'll be rolling out um, like written recap lists from Fantasia. So like my favorite horror movies, my favorite feel-good movies. Uh, they're, they'll be sort of more compartmentalized. So if you want to know any more details about those, you can find those. And I did an interview with Dan levy levy for um coastal elites and he's just like whatever you are completely (laughs) convinced within 10 minutes talking to him that he's your best friend for 20 years uh i love him stay tuned for that he's amazing that's really all i got I love it. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PNMROF, and I will choose to plug Collider Ladies Night with Starlight herself, Erin Moriarty. We went through her entire career. She talked about episodes one through three. I might be saving some other spoilers for later in the season, but she she was a delight. I'm a big fan of her in this season. I'm a big fan of her in Kings of Summer. If you want to hear about all that good stuff, go check it out. All right. That's it. You have officially survived the witching hour. 
Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.